Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. So Zacharias 4, 6 says this, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It's not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Zerubbabel is the leader of kind of like the Judah, um, Jews movement at that time. And they were trying to build or rebuild the second temple. And, you know, the prophet goes to the Lord and says, how are we going to achieve this? How are we going to do this? And, and there's this, this famous line that you've probably heard it so many times and quoted where it says, not by, you know, not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit. This idea that, you know, you can be strong. All those things are not going to accomplish what the Holy Spirit can accomplish. Can anybody say amen to that? I remember when I was, was in junior high, uh, we had this thing that I dreaded to do at physical education or PE, where we, have, we had these two poles and there was a bar in between. And this bar can be adjusted to certain heights, right? And we, we had to jump it. And from the rest of, I mean, for most of my life, I, I've, I have a tendency to really move awkwardly and I'm not a very good athlete, you know, and every single time I would try to jump this, you know, like if it was a foot off the ground, I can do it maybe two feet off the ground. But the more, the higher the bar went up, the more I got to sort of experience all this anxiety about me, you know, being able to jump that bar. So what we would do is we would have this bar and then they would, you know, the, the coach would line us up and every single one of us had to like run and jump the bar, you know, and, uh, you know, at the beginning was easy, but the bar, as the bar was raised, right, it got harder with every single, you know, every single inch or every single half a foot, whatever they, they raise it at. I feel like there was almost like a, I sus- suspected there might be a correlation between, you know, the bar getting raised and my anxiety just kind of like escalating constantly, right? Like I, I'm just kind of thinking, I'm like, can I make it this time? Can I make it? I mean, can I, can I do it? And you never want to be the guy who knocks the bar down. Because then you have to do the walk of shame or the run of shame, like you're just kind of like, and everyone is just sitting there like, come on, like this is just so easy. But you never want to be that guy. But while everyone is sort of making fun and everyone is laughing at the guy that knocked the bar over, everyone kind of felt great inside. Because if the bar got, you know, hit and, and it fell to the ground, they would actually set a lower. So on one hand, we made fun of whoever knocked the bar down, but on the other hand, we were, we were kind of glad that someone did other than us. You know, because that meant, that meant that the bar was lower for all of us, right? So I, I remember this, and I'm like, man, even in junior high, I could see, you know, the, the corruption in my heart. <laughs> even in junior high, I could see, you know, this, like, I know this is a small example, but it was that where we would just really rejoice in someone, you know, failing the test and someone lowering the bar. And I, th- I suspect a lot of times when we would go from class to class, a lot of gossip, like, did you hear about, <laughs> yeah, like, so easy, but they just knocked it over. And I suspect a lot of times when we gossip about people when it comes to their sin, we do the same thing, because if someone sinned bigger than us, then guess what? 
the bar just got lowered for all of us. So it's in our interest to talk about other people's problems. It's our interest to kind of tell everyone, yeah, but, you know, I, I, I knocked it when, when the bar was about three feet high, but someone else, like, knocked it, like, they couldn't even make it past a foot and a half. So we compare ourselves by ourselves. We, we look at our Christianity and we say stuff like, you know, well, yeah, but it's, you know, it's not like I do this. And we, we could excuse or if we fall short of God's standard, we can just sort of brush it off because, hey, somebody else does a way worse job. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't show up to church every single Sunday, but there's people that don't go to church at all. They're the Christian CEOs, like Christmas and Easter only type people, right? So, so like we constantly have this idea that if we can just lower the bar just a little bit lower, then it's easier. But what do you do when the bar is set so high that no human can ever jump it? Because you see, Jesus comes and says, okay, well, let me show you the standard. Takes the bar and says, how about perfect? How about being holy and righteous and even the tiny sin can keep you out of heaven? How do you jump that? How about a bar that you can never get over on your own? Jesus comes and he sets the bar unlike anybody else before. Jews, they had, you know, their Ten Commandments and then the 600, I believe, about 13 laws. And Jesus says, how about fulfilling them all? And then some. How about perfection? Because you see, it's easy for me, uh, where I come from, um, there was a lot of times in churches, people debate, should you wear a ring on stage or not? Or should you wear a ring at all? Should you wear a tie? Because, you know, ties point to hell. You, you don't have to get that one. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Or if you were a different church, you had to have a tie. Because if you don't have a tie, then, you know, well, you're not important enough. And you're not a preacher. So, so do me if you do, do me if you don't. Now, I understand there's customs and culture in every single church. And when I go and preach at a different church, I try to respect those customs. I try to respect that culture. And if they say, hey, no tie, I, I'm more than, because I don't want to be point of distraction. I want people to listen to the message, not what, you know, look at me and say, well, no, right? But see, putting a tie on and taking it off, it's easy, if that's the bar of our Christianity, that's easy to do. To wear a suit or not to wear a suit, that's easy. Businessmen who a lot of times are not even Christian and some people are even wicked, they can do that just as fine and just as easy. That is easy to do. Praying for someone to get healing and then just kind of not asking if they got healing or not, it's easy. Like, okay, we just pray for them. To sort of, you know go through life and, and go to church every single morning. And if you count that the standard of your Christianity, that's easy. But what happens when the bar is so high that you can't get over? What happens when God comes to you like Ezekiel 
And Ezekiel, he takes him, God takes him to this valley of dry bones, right? God has taken you to a family that's broken and a, a brother that is addicted to drugs and has been addicted for years. And a family that's falling apart and a mom or a dad who has a mental disease. And God says, can these bones live? What happens when you go to a hospital and you know that this person is not going to survive the night? And God says, can you pray for them? Can you pray for their healing? What happens when, when you're, you come to church and everyone knows how good you are, but then you go home and you have your struggles and your addictions and your problems you have to face? And looking in the mirror, you know exactly what you're dealing with and who you are. If, what happens when you, know, you hear these stories about Moses going to Pharaoh and asking for his people to, 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 to let go of his people, right? Like God's people. When God is asking you to go to someone that's completely, you know, he's, he's, he can destroy you. He can kill you. I, 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 lo- I remember this quote by uh, Richard Wormbrand. He was saying he, he was in, in this prison, and, and he, he's Romanian, and he was under the communist kind of like regime. And they knew they, if they preached the gospel, and if they pray for people, they will get beat he says, but we decided that we, we are willing to accept that risk. He says, we, we just, they, they said, okay, the communists beat us good. We should preach good. And he says, they beat us, and that made them happy. And they preached, and that made us happy, and everyone was happy. <laughs> right, I'm thinking, like, let me unpack this for a second. That is, nobody with the right mind can say that. Not that he didn't have a right mind, it's just that that's a whole different level of being a Christian, is what I'm saying. What what happens when you're like Gideon, who you're so scared that you're making your own food, and God comes and says, God is with you, mighty warrior, and you're like, I'm just trying to cook my lunch. The mighty warrior lives down the street, and I'm the youngest out of my family, and my family is nobody. And God didn't say, like, let me get a hold of your brother or your other family. God says, no, I chose you. And God is choosing for a task. How are you going to build a church? How are you going to build a ministry? How are you going to go and, and be a missionary? How are you going to do all those things? I, I, mean, I remember when we started this church, there was like about four young people and about 20 people. I'm talking about the city, city, um, city Hill Church, and I know the open door, formal open door, like you have your own journey and how hard it was for you to, to build a church. You, it, it's, it's difficult. Working with people is incredibly dif- difficult because there's so many unknowns and there's so many challenges and every single person makes choices and it just constantly throws wrenches into your plans, right? Like you think you're gonna have, everything's gonna be perfect and then life happens. What happens when there's a standard that you can't meet? Well, this is what happens. You understand that you can't do it in your own strength. I, I remember this one story about this little girl she was in the orphanage in China, I believe, and there was she, this orphanage was led by this spiritual woman, and she had to take these these orphans and pull them through this through this kind of like 
pass through the mountain, right? And there was two armies from each side, and they, they didn't want to get caught up in the, in the middle of the war. So they were, were going through these mountains, and there was a, a huge kind of like, you know, um, kind of a crevice in, in, in the mountain. And she just couldn't get across it. And one of the kids says, well, you told us about Moses. The Moses raised up his staff and, and God parted the waters. I mean, could you just kind of start praying? Because that's what the stories they told us. And, and, and this, this lady starts crying and says, you don't understand. I'm not Moses. The kid, and the kid goes, well, yeah, but we serve the same God, don't we? So you see, we have this idea that Elijah and Ezekiel and Moses, all these people, they were different. They were superhuman. They were super, you know, they're superman with powers. But that's not the case. It says that Elijah was like a man just like you and me. What changed was God would take a person and the Holy Spirit, where his spirit would descend upon this person, right? And they would be able to move in the power, not of their own, but on God's power. That's why when we see David's sin in Psalm 51, and he comes to repent and says, God, whatever you do, don't take away the spirit. Don't take away the spirit from me. Your spirit, don't take it away. He understood, out of all the things he could pray, he says, don't take away the spirit that you've given me. I know I have messed up, but I need the Holy Spirit to lead me. So in the Old Testament, we have the times where the the Holy Spirit would descend upon David or Moses or Aaron or whoever it is, right? And, And they would move in that power. And wouldn't it be nice when you actually end up there and you go up to Moses and say, Moses, that was great. Tell us some stories, man. How was it? How was it when, when you just kind of raised up your staff and the water departed? When the Holy Spirit would descend upon you, how was it? And you say, that was great. But let me ask you this. How was it when the Holy Spirit lived inside of you? You see what I'm saying? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend upon a person for a certain task or amount of time. But in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, coming and dwelling in every single one of us. Jesus speaks on this and he says, nevertheless, I tell the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the comforter will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And Jesus says, it's better that I leave. What could possibly be better than having Jesus with you? Like, don't you, wouldn't you want Jesus to walk with you every single day of your life? Like in in physical form I'm talking about. Like sitting down and having dinner with, with Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? And Jesus says, it's better that I leave because if I leave, the comforter or the helper won't come. He says, you know what's better than me walking alongside you is me living inside of you through the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is saying. That's what's better. I I love this quote by, I think it's Charles Spurgeon. He says, without the spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without the wind, branches without the sap. If you don't know what sap is, it's basically like the water that kind of transforms and brings nutrients to the plant. It says, um, 
they talked like that back in the day, okay? <laughs> Branches without sap and like coals without fire, we are useless. We are useless without the power of the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody says this, when he was in just kind of like growing up, right? He went to, to this kind of revival service and there's this preacher that came and said um, this. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man who is fully surrendered to him. And D.L. Moody said, by God's grace, I will be that man. A person who's so surrendered to God that the Holy Spirit completely takes over their life and starts to move in them. That is what we're called to, is dying completely to ourselves and saying, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Would you change me? Would you transform me? Now, how do we do that? Well, first, we have to understand that there has to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, um, in Acts 1, 6, says this, and and look at this, right? Uh, So they, they, being the disciples, had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So (laughs) Jesus resurrects, and they're like, okay, so are you going to become like the king now of Israel? Like, are we going to, like, reign with you? Can we just take over now the Romans and stuff? And Jesus goes, like, he's like, no. Like, he, he says this. He said to them, it is not for you to know times of seasons that the Father has fixed for, by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit c- has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the end of the earth. So what's happening here is they, they understand Jesus talked a lot, about, a lot about his kingdom, right? And they're like, okay, are you going to like bring the kingdom here on earth? Is this going to be like, are we going to reign with you in Israel? What's that going to look like? Is, is God going to just kind of like invade? And God says, no, 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 that's not for you to know. What you need to know is when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you power to go preach in Jerusalem, Okay. And then he says, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now think about it. Think of Samaria. You know what Jesus is saying here? You're going to go and preach in Canmore, and then after that, you're going to go preach your enemies. If you're a Republican to your Democrat friends, um, if you're a Democrat to your Republican friends, um, if if you're conservative, you're going to go and start actually reaching your liberal friends, and, and so on and so forth. People that you disagree with, people that you might actually hate. When Jesus says, go love your enemies, how is that even possible? Okay, maybe I can love people that I disagree with, but how about ISIS? Well, that, that's, not, that's not like that, Slavic. Like, that's not, ISIS is different. I get that. What I'm saying is, in that day, when Jesus says, love your enemies, it's like loving ISIS. People that want to kill you and destroy you. Beloved, that's not, you can't do that in your own strength. I know that when the sound of my voice, there's people that you are abused, people that maybe have abandoned you, people that sought to destroy you, right? And God says, go love those people. Not just these people that you disagree with, people that you just can't stand. That is not easy. 
It's not easy if you're doing it on your own strength. That's a standard that none of us can fulfill unless we start receiving his love and his redemption. I can say, because he's forgiven me, I can forgive you. Because he's loved me, I can love you. Because of what he's done for me, I can serve you. I can be gentle and kind because that's how God, when I still was a sinner and I still spat in his face, that's how he loved me and he cared for me. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit takes over, right? It goes on to say that we have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 11, I baptized you with water. So John Baptist is talking about, you know, the baptisms. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Look, one thing we have to realize is that I cannot baptize you with the Holy Spirit. God is the one that does that. It says that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. When you were born again, you are born into a new family, and that is the family of God. Now you have communion with the Trinity. But for that to happen, we have to go to the cross. We have to look at the Holy Spirit, okay? And the work of the Holy Spirit on the cross. A lot of kids will come up to me, and I, for a long time I had the same thing. Like I was just really scared that I'm going to hell because I might have, just might have, sometime that I might even think about um, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. You remember that part, right? Like if you grew up in a Christian family, you know what I'm talking about, right? This idea that you said something and, yep, there's no forgiveness for you. Because everything can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So I'll be so trembling in fear. Did I commit the ultimate sin? Well, that's not how it works. <laughs> blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when a person completely turns their whole life and says, the work of the Spirit on the cross, what the Holy Spirit achieved through Jesus Christ, or the G- what Jesus has done on the cross, I want nothing to do with that. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to look at the work of the Spirit and say, I want nothing to do with that, and I turn my back constantly as a lifestyle. And because of that, because you turned away from the only sacrifice that can save you, there's no more sacrifice for you. That's what he means when he says that if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, right? If you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, then then there's no forgiveness because you just turn your back on the only forgiveness that, that can, the only sacrifice that can save you. When you completely turn your back on the work of the Spirit, there's no sacrifice left to save you. And that's why it says the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unpardonable sin because there's no sacrifice to atone for that sin. Look at this. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So, so by turning around, by you know, constantly being in sin, you can quench the Spirit. What's quenching is having a fire and pouring, pouring water over it. 
says, don't quote, quench the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the seal that is given to you, right? The seal that's given to you for redemption. So God has marked you as his own. Now, again, when I was a kid, I had this another fear of whatever you do, don't get the mark of the beast. Okay? Like I was scared that someone, like I'm sleeping, right? Like if somebody came and tattooed the mark of the beast on you, that is not a good thing. Because now you're marked for the enemy, right? That was my, my kind of thought process. Whatever you do, just don't allow you, don't, don't get stamped, right? That's not what it's talking about here, right? Because no matter how many tattoos somebody forces on you, at the end of the day, if you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of you is the seal, the God, you are God's. You are born his family, and when he comes for the church, he is taking you home. And the work that he starts in you, he'll be able to finish. You are sealed for the day of redemption through the Holy Spirit. So you have to be baptized, you have to join this family. You have to say, I, what is baptism really? Baptism is saying that this is a public display of a, of a decision that I made inward, right? Like inside of me. When I went and I got baptized, I said, I want to serve Jesus. And I, I, I proclaimed that in front of a whole bunch of people. It's a public display of a commitment that I made to follow. I mean, people do that with getting married, right? I mean, I don't have experience on that side yet, but like people do that when they get married. They do a public display of their, you know, affection, right? So, so baptizing, being baptized by the Holy Spirit is, is that when you say, hey, I will, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to completely take over my life and surrender myself to him, you know? Now, the next step is, is that you can't just join a family. Now, you could, you could be saved, but not be, you know, not move in the power that's available to you. You can be saved, you can be sealed for redemption, but not pray for the sick and see, sick, the sick people uh, healed. You can sort of kind of go through life, but I think that even every single work that you do, if you want to follow after God, you have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, how do some people do this where they kind of are Christians for their whole life, but they deny, you know, it's, it's kind of almost like that verse where it says that they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. It's like my phone is not with me right now. It's on, on, on the seat. But imagine having an iPhone and you're using this as a paper brick, right? Like I, my, the iPhone, this is what it is. It's just a way for, for the paper because it's dead. Well, I think you're not, accessing what you can access through that phone because through that phone, if you power it up, right, like you can access not just one stack of papers, right, you can access the whole world wide web. So there's a power that's available to us, to every single Christian, that you can go through life thinking, oh, it's just, you know, it's but there's a power that's available to us. So that's what we have in, um, in um, Acts 2, it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mi- mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house. 
and they were, and where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this idea that, you know, the the power of, of the Holy Spirit came and descended on the day of Pentecost. And, and it says that Peter used to be, I think we've mentioned him at the beginning of the service, Peter used to be this person who was always scared. And this, you see Peter now, right? He's preaching to all these people. I mean, I'm going to allow you to go and research that story, right? Like, but he preaches to about, it says 3,000 people or 5,000 people or something like that, like, came. That's a mega church. You know, and we have in Ephesians 5, 17 says this, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery. Be filled with the spirit instead. So what he's saying here is that don't go around. You know, I, I see these things on, on YouTube and, and people like, oh, I'm, I'm filled with spirit and they, they can't control themselves and they look like a drunk person. And the, and the, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of that. What I'm trying to say is that being filled with the spirit is, is what we see in Peter, where he was somewhat of, of a person who was always scared of things, and now he is filled with the Spirit, and he goes and preaches boldly. You know, he, 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 he declares that. And then we see Peter going and praying for people, people that are getting healed. You know, when the Holy Spirit come over, comes over you, it's not like being drunk. We're like, have you seen a drunk person? It's not exactly a pleasant sight. It's not what they show in the commercials, that's for sure. You know, it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That is being bold and anointed and declaring things and, and praying for people and, and giving God what God has given you. There's a power that's available to all of us that if we go without, we're going to live a powerless Christianity. I, I heard, I think it was the uh, Prime Minister of India, don't quote me on that, I think it was someone from India that said this, that like, you Christians make such a big statements and such big epic sort of like claims, but you live such ordinary lives. Christians that struggle with the same things as the world, that should say something, don't you think? If I told you, I think Francis Chan talked about this, if I told you that I had this, I, I met LeBron James and, and, and he kind of like just kind of did a thing over me and now like I'm exactly like him except better. And then I got on the basketball court and I, I'm just, I have no idea what I'm doing you'd say, there's a problem there. Either whatever that was, wasn't, or you're lying, which most likely was the second thing. So when, when we claim that, you know, miracles, all these things will follow you, if you still live in addiction and sin and all these things, then that doesn't look very, very pleasing or appealing. And we look like salesmen walking around trying to sell things to people that you're not even sure it works. Like remember, like when you go buy a car, and it's like a used car, and air conditioning is broken. It's like, yeah, that's supposed to be working, but it's a great car overall. Air conditioning doesn't work, but you know, the Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit will change you. Acts two seventeen says this: In the last days, I'll, I shall be. Um, it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your so- daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even my male servants and female servants on those days, I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So, so we have this this idea that hey, in the last days, we will see a move of the spirit like on, on anything else. 
But we, we as a modern day, we sort of kind of ignore that because we don't want to go into the weird stuff, as I mentioned at the beginning, right? Like, we don't want to go, and like, where I come from, we have this, this idea that, you know, uh, this kind of, this kind of picture, I guess, um, when we lived in Moldova, we didn't have running water, and we had to bathe ourselves in like this little tub, and my mom would bathe us, right? And then you take the baby out and then throw the water out, right? Well, you know, we would say, don't throw the baby with the bath water, right? The baby stays, the baby is good, the water is bad because it's dirty, right? Whenever, whenever we talk about prophecy, whenever we talk about like, there, there, there could be that people start misusing it. But at the same time, we ca- cannot kind of dis... We, we cannot, because of the abuse, we cannot look at that and say, well, we won't be doing it. Don't take what's good, spit out what's the bad of it. Galatians 5.16 says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, feats of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I warned you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things, there is no law. And those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. Walk every single day in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now I have four minutes left and I want to bring this to a close. When I told you the beginning, when the bar is set so high that you can't jump it, there is a way around it actually. It's called a it's called a pole, and it's called pole vaulting, right? Like you put the pole in, and then it vaults you over. The Holy Spirit is that. The Holy Spirit can, can come and say, I'll empower you for the work that you're called to do. I'll empower you to get over your addictions, your problems. I'll empower you to go and preach to your family. I'll empower you to go and start that ministry that you're supposed to start, but you kind of gave up on. I'll empower you to go and not just pray for people, but take their hand and say, in the name of Jesus, stand up out of the wheelchair. I'll empower you to, 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 pre, uh, to pray over people who are blind and they will see. I'll empower you and give you boldness and anointing, right, to, to, to go and preach the gospel, not just in Canmore, but in India and um, countries that are Muslim and countries that are hostile towards you. I'll empower you because you see, at the end of the day, if we don't have the spirit, there's no oil. It's like a lamp, right? Like at the end of the day, when we look at... Uh, the spirit and when we have people that serve in ministries and they burn out it's because it's them burning out a lamp that has oil as long as there's oil the actual stem of the lamp it doesn't really burn out it burns the oil so maybe the reason we feel like giving up maybe the reason you try to to reach your brother for the hundredth time and you give up is because you've been trying to do it in your own strength but we need the power of the holy spirit Maybe the reason our prayer, you know, maybe stifled them, our prayer is not going anywhere. Maybe because we tried to do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit.
And I hope that this message, I hope that this morning we are, we are convicted and say, the Holy, Holy Spirit, we've been doing church without you too much. That's not, I'm not talking about general because there's people in here that you've been walking with the Holy Spirit. But if you haven't, can I ask you to go and revisit that? Revisit that relationship? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to come and change and transform you? I'm going to ask the worship team or pianist to, to come up on stage, but I was going towards prayer. Where that one, what's that one thing that you've sort of kind of gave up on because you don't really, you don't really know how to go on? What's the ministry that you started and you want to give up on? What's the family member that like you look at that and say, God is broken. It's a broken situation. I don't know what to do. Because you see, when God comes to Ezekiel and says, can these bones live? Ezekiel looks at God and says, God, you know. What Ezekiel did there is saying, God, I don't really know, but you do. And I'm going to trust what you say. God, I don't, I don't have the strength for Gideon. Like, I don't, but it, I'm going to go on the strength that I have because you will fight for me. God, if you're Moses, like, I'm going to go and do this, and even if that gets me killed, God, the spotlight is on you. The Holy Spirit will teach you how to pray. See, Jesus didn't say that when Slavi comes, he's going to teach you all things, or Pastor Eric, when he comes, he's going to teach you all things. He says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Now, the Holy Spirit will use us and will use people in the congregation, but it's ultimately him speaking through other people, through the scriptures, right? Like, he's the one who's going to keep you, you know, a person who, who is sound in doctrine. The Holy Spirit will comfort you when you're going through that breakup or when you have a death in the family. So just stand this morning with me. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.